Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, October 24th, 2023, the 1007th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So yesterday we discussed the Uniparty and how the Uniparty seems to be embracing its true nature. After years of pretending it simply did not exist, I tweeted a few weeks ago, the greatest trick the Uniparty ever pulled was convincing the United States, that it did not exist. And the global regime, of course, has been very successful in doing this around the world. They're successful doing it here because 
we have such a massive portion of our state propaganda media, the establishment media, the uniparty media, willing to tell us that the uniparty itself is a conspiracy theory. It does not exist. Democrats and Republicans are actually bitter enemies who would never work together except when it comes to the good of the country on the most important issues. Besides that, they are just enemies. And we as Republicans should be very happy that the Democrats are our bitter enemies. And same thing for the Democrats. Oh, they hate the Republicans. They would never work together. Their agendas are just polar opposites. The only times they would ever align are when the most important issues arise and then the public demands, oh, please, Democrats, please, Republicans, just get over your differences, set them aside and work together on our behalf. The television asks us to demand that of them and, oh, we do it and they are happy to oblige. Oh, well, American people, we never thought you would actually ever ask us to work together for the benefit of the American people. We thought you guys were just too busy with that whole I hate Democrats, I hate Republicans thing. But now that you demand we work together for the good of the American people, we're going to do that. And how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to tax you all your money. And then we're going to send it to people overseas so that they can fight each other. Isn't that what you've always wanted? Usually we just have you fighting against one another. Democrats versus Republicans, Republicans versus Democrats. And sure, that's fun if you like a mild amount of political violence. But if you want it to be for real, if you want to watch a war, well, we're going to have to actually combine your anger and focus it elsewhere. And by anger, we just mean your indentured servitude for all time to come. They combine on all the important issues. And let's just think about this period from early 2020 until now. They agreed that COVID was a very deadly pandemic and that we must trust the science, listen to the experts, for sure ignore everything that Donald Trump says because he's not a serious person, he's reckless, he's crazy, and we don't even really consider him president. They went all in on COVID to varying degrees. You still have to create that controlled opposition dynamic, but you need them to agree on the underlying details, which happen to be the underlying falsehoods. Because if they agree on that and convince other people that that stuff has to be true because even Democrats and Republicans agree to it, well, people are going to believe it. And then some version of the agenda that springs forth from those underlying details will eventually be implemented. And that's what we saw throughout COVID. Democrats wanted masks on everyone, cover everyone's face. Doesn't matter if they work or not, better safe than sorry, even though the better safe than sorry option in reality would have been to not wear the masks. And the Republicans largely went along with it. They said masks should be a personal choice. The government should not mandate them. We're not sure how well they work. What we should do in this case is tell everyone we're going to be good conservatives and pretend that masks might work. And if they might work, that's sort of the same as they do work sometimes. And if they work sometimes, well, maybe they're not so bad for saying better safe than sorry. The actual argument, of course, would have been to declare loudly that masks do not work 
and cannot work. So if people are telling others to wear them, those should be seen as bad people, stupid people. In fact, if anyone is mandated to wear them, those people should be seen as tyrants and authoritarians. And if anyone tries to make a child wear one, that person should be seen as a child abuser. That's what actual opposition looks like. Controlled opposition looks and sounds like, well, I guess it's everybody's personal choice. To be clear, I would never want to take away someone's personal choice to do that, but that is not the actual opposition viewpoint. That is a baseline standard of morality. That is a very low bar to cross. We don't need to applaud establishment conservatives for taking that stand. Oh, it's everybody's choice. How bold. Was there a great conservative opposition to the state's governors choosing to lock down? Donald Trump didn't lock down the states. The state's governors chose to do that. Donald Trump shut down the federal government. The federal government should be shut down constantly. There was no opposition from conservative media. They were too busy listening to the experts, trusting the science, trusting the data. And they just kept on with that trend through the elections, through the certification of those elections. Republicans and Democrats aligned on the very violent insurrection, both happy to blame MAGA extremists, America first supporters, Trump supporters. They sat and applauded the fake inauguration and told us how America might be able to embrace a more unified future. Joe Biden was going to heal that divide within the controlled opposition. He was going to get the uniparty left and uniparty right to agree that they must dispose of all those MAGA extremists, all those populists, all those people who put America first. Got to get rid of them. Joe Biden unified both sides of the uniparty against populist Americans. I wonder if there's like some history for that, some history about when the political elite just shed the disguise as controlled opposition, admit to being one and the same, and then use their power to oppress all the people of a nation. Does that usually uh, end well? No, it doesn't, in fact. But they all lauded Joe Biden for unifying the two sides of the uniparty. Because he didn't unify Americans. No one would ever argue that he did. But the uniparty left and the uniparty right are totally aligned in their hatred for Donald Trump and his supporters. They came together for the Ukraine war. Now they're coming together to help Israel. We talked about how Liz Cheney did the Sunday shows this weekend. I think that she's angling for speaker. Jake Tapper asked her directly as you know, a very staunch Republican who disagrees with Joe Biden about everything except for Ukraine and Israel, blah, blah, blah. And she goes right along with it. It's not a problem. Yes, Joe Biden is illegitimate. He is a tyrannical communist dictator who exhibits every element of what we have always known to apply to that description. And the quote unquote conservatives in the Republican Party are fully aligned with the communist dictator when it comes to geopolitics and war. And naturally, all of those other domestic items I mentioned that just so happen to perfectly align with the exact same 
global regime. And then we had reporting from Punchbowl representing the Uniparty left talking about how Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, illegitimate though that body is, is the illegitimate president's greatest ally and asset. Mitch McConnell, one of the storied conservatives, one of those hard right conservatives, at least until Trump entered the picture. Oh, Mitch McConnell, hated by Democrats. Liz Cheney also hated by Democrats. (laughs) And now, now they're just loved by Democrats. Mitch McConnell, oh, he's going to be the adult in the room and help Joe Biden for the first time ever. Gosh, it's so hard to believe, but thank goodness they're both taking responsibility and acting like the adults in the room in order to preserve this great power structure that we rely on. They have announced themselves in full. Now, I first started realizing this when it became clear that there weren't any representatives in the country who were going to stand up and declare the COVID narrative false or do what they should and could do in their hearings to expose it to the country. You had Donald Trump going out and giving press conferences every afternoon at the White House. And throughout 2020, he told us everything we needed to know to avoid the problems with COVID, to understand the actual tenor of the race war that the regime was attempting to start in our country and to know that the elections would absolutely be stolen and how they would be stolen. He let us know all of that throughout that summer. But where were the other Republicans fighting for any of those causes? They were few and far between, if not non-existent. So we should have realized it then. And the truth is we could have realized it long before. And I include myself in that. But to now be three and a half years down the line from all of that and still not recognize it, still call it a conspiracy theory, the idea that elites from quote unquote both sides don't have the same agenda and aren't working together to achieve that agenda. How could you not recognize that? You would have to be totally addicted to the central narrative, believe every official story as presented and never think about any of this. And naturally, that's exactly what we have. We have a bunch of people who have been brainwashed and just through custom and force of habit, they actually believe that Democrats and Republicans have nothing in common. In fact, they would probably tell you that they hate the other party and that they would never want to be around anyone in the other party. Jonathan Turley just wrote a column talking about new polling that suggests nearly 40% of the people in each party would accept political violence as the only way to deal with the other side. That is how strong this controlled opposition dynamic is embedded in the political thinking in the minds of Americans. And that's very sad because that is not an accurate picture of what's happening at all. Now, understanding that we have a uniparty, it immediately stops making sense to support someone with a little R next to their name or a little D next to their name, just based on the R and the D. Someone cannot be considered good just because they're a Republican. And I would say that people should not be considered bad just because they're a Democrat. But honestly, at this point, there is no real movement within people who identify as Democrats to change that party 
except to make it more communist. And I'm not saying that necessarily each and every one of the Democrats party's supporters are evil, but they're not doing a great job. There is, however, a major movement among self-identified or even prior self-identified Republicans to remove the establishment of that party completely and replace it only with values that support America first. And the problem is for a lot of people, as it now stands, what this means is that the other side is still just as big as we always believed it to be. But now we realize that some of the people we believe to be on our side are actually on the other side. And that quickly becomes very scary because that means that not only are we about 50-50, they have some of our people too, which means they actually have a big advantage. We had better work along with those people who are on their side, but say they're on our side, because that's the only way that we will have enough allies to actually defeat their side and win. And that, my friends, is a very confused way of thinking. And that is causing us to make far too many mistakes. The people who are on their side are on their side. Doesn't matter if they have a little R next to their name. We should not continue to need more examples of this. But once you accept that a lot of those people with little R's next to their name are actually on the other side, they are on the side of the uniparty, not the side of the people. They are not on our side. They are not going to end up on our side. They are our opposition who just so happens to say that they don't disagree with us about everything. They'll be happy to tell us that they agree with us about abortion or about the Second Amendment. But over time, they work right along with their controlled opposition to chip away at all of it. And that's what we've seen over the course of decades now. The results speak for themselves. Now, while it looks like they have that advantage in the power structure, they don't have that advantage when it comes to normal people, because normal people actually do care about their own priorities and the priorities of those around them, their friends, their family members, their co-workers. People will support elements of the government so long as they believe those elements of the government are holding back far worse elements of the government. And everyone on quote unquote, both sides believes that. But when you realize the government is only one side, the government as it stands exists to push forward the agenda of the global regime. When people understand that, they reject it and they begin refocusing on what is good for themselves and their community, their friends, their family, their coworkers, their church, whatever it might be. Getting people to that point is the goal. The revelation of the uniparty makes that so much easier. Do we really need to spend our time in arguments over the details of controlled opposition dynamic fictions with Democrats to advance our cause? No, of course not. What we need to do is come to a level of understanding with rational, awakened people that the real threat, no matter what your moral, social, financial opinions are, the real threat is that uniparty that doesn't care about what your opinions are, that is actively working to censor people and void their votes. 
How many ways do people need to be told and shown that the Uniparty doesn't care about you? You do not owe them anything just because you have placed a little R next to your name and identified as a Republican, as a conservative. Are the people working in direct alignment with a communist dictator, the illegitimate fake president, Joe Biden, are the people working in direct alignment with him conservatives? Well, clearly not. Are they Republicans? Well, yeah, they do have a little R next to their name. Are those people going to be our allies? Never, never. So stop pretending that they will be and that you just have a difference of opinion. You don't have a difference of opinion. You have a total diametrically opposed difference about everything that matters. So I want to keep that discussion going because I really do think that the understanding of the unit party is one of the very most important aspects to all of this. It is that good twin, evil twin dynamic I have been talking about for years now. When people can see the uniparty in America, it becomes very easy to see what the uniparty's goals are. You can see how members of both parties have been working toward fulfilling the goals of that global agenda and how they've been reaping the rewards for it. And then that dynamic becomes visible across the world. And it turns out to be the only dynamic that matters. Does the situation as it evolves tend to benefit the global agenda or does it tend to benefit the cause of sovereign nations and sovereign individuals? Does the person or party under consideration support the global agenda or do they push us down the path towards sovereign nations and sovereign individuals? That is the question that must be asked at all times. Now, thankfully, in America and in other countries around the world, we have a clearly defined leader of the movement against the Uniparty and against that global regime's agenda. And of course, here that is Donald Trump, which is why Liz Cheney and so many others describe Donald Trump and his movement as the most dangerous threat to America, to the world, to the rules-based international global order, sometimes called the liberal world order, sometimes called the one world global order, sometimes called the new world order. It has gone under so many different names, spoken about by so many different people in positions of power. And once again, as with the Uniparty in America, that new world order is called a conspiracy theory. Now, it clearly isn't a conspiracy theory. The people involved in its implementation talk about it on television. They talk about it at conferences. They write articles about it. They tell us how important it is to preserve it with no hesitation whatsoever. It is only a conspiracy theory to the extent that if you learn about what it actually is, you're going to oppose it. And therefore, it is misleading information to describe exactly what it is, except for them. Of course, they can describe exactly what it is. But if you mistake what they're saying by understanding what they're saying, well, that's when it becomes a conspiracy theory. The determination about whether a certain interpretation is true or false. Well, that is all dependent on who it is that's making that interpretation. And because it's us, it's a conspiracy theory. But don't worry. It's not a hate movement. 
It just so happens to be that we are the people who are wrong. Therefore, if we have a belief or we say something, then that thing is wrong. But it's not a hate movement. We really just are that wrong. And if you say it is a hate movement, well, that's a conspiracy theory. Now, as I've said many times on this show, I believe that Colonel Douglas McGregor is consistently way ahead of the narrative and telling us the truth about very complex situations from the perspective of those who care about sovereign nations and sovereign individuals. And for complicated situations that involve history and geopolitics and war, it is extremely important to find someone who is able to communicate effectively and honestly about those situations and give us information that we cannot get elsewhere. Now, I discussed this on the show before and a little bit on Devolution Power Hour last Saturday night with John Harold and Patrick Gunnels. And I said that a good way to know whether we are right or whether someone like Colonel McGregor is right is to watch what they've said and then over time see whether or not they shift to a different position or if other people shift to their position. And time after time after time, on issue after issue after issue, you can see that establishment media on the uniparty right and the uniparty left ends up often coming to our position while there is essentially no scenario ever, none that I can think of for sure, where we end up shifting to their position. We don't change our interpretation to align with the official story of a year and a half ago. That just never happens. The truth community, for instance, has not come to understand that, in fact, our elections are free and fair, safe and secure, and that the reported results accurately reflect the will and intent of the voters. No one in the truth community ever goes in that direction. But a massive portion of Americans have come to understand that we not only are correct about the elections, but that we've been correct the entire time. Our position has not changed at all. It has only become more fortified while many other people move from their prior position to the position we have occupied the whole time. If that happens on issue after issue, you can be pretty certain that one group of people has been consistently right where the other group of people has been consistently wrong, whether or not they will admit it and whether or not anyone who aligns with our positions will point it out. It is nonetheless true. We have been right where they have been wrong. Colonel Douglas McGregor not only occupies that position, he is also ahead of us and informing us and when we incorporate his views into our understanding, it allows us to see ahead in ways that we couldn't have, and it allows us to be right about things we would have been far less likely to be right about without him. That makes him an invaluable resource. There is no better illustration of this than his communications throughout Putin's very brutal invasion of Ukraine. He nailed it the entire time. You can go back and watch videos of him discussing this situation since early 2022. He has been right on the entire time. And the last 20 months have proved that conclusively. Whereas you can look at the stories being spun 
by the Uniparty's media, the global regime's propaganda media, and they have consistently been proven wrong. The world at large is moving to McGregor's position, while there is virtually no one moving in the opposite direction. Now, there probably will be people vocally adjusting their prior positions on Ukraine to align with something more like McGregor in order to advance their current positions vis-a-vis Israel. But there won't be people who have occupied McGregor's position on the facts, changing their position because the facts have changed. We actually see this dynamic quite a lot with Ron supporters. They had the right position about certain issues, and now they are moving toward the uniparty position, the regime position, but not on the facts, only on the interpretations, because their prior correct interpretations do not happen to align with their current political motivations. But that is a much rarer dynamic and phenomenon that we see emerging And it's quite clear why that is emerging. It has nothing to do with any change in the facts on the ground to the extent we can know them. So when we have opportunities to hear what Colonel McGregor is saying, it behooves us to listen to him. His track record is very, very good. And considering we are in an absolute morass of utter nonsense flowing from both sides of the uniparty, the controlled opposition dynamic ratcheted up to 12 pure blistering hatred being exchanged in both directions, it does make sense to find among all of that someone who is not participating in any of it and someone who can be trusted to tell us truth that we would not otherwise hear because the Uniparty's media sucks all the air out of the conversation. Colonel McGregor stands virtually alone for someone of his stature. In being able to avoid all of the uniparty nonsense and consistently tell us the truth. And I want to make sure to hammer this point home as hard as possible because Colonel McGregor just did a sit down with Tucker Carlson, which means virtually everyone is going to see it and hear about it. And they are going to have to contend with these ideas. And that's extremely important because what we have representing us now are even the people who we imagine to be on our side, like Ohio Senator J.D. Vance, going out and asking for Ukraine funding and Israel funding to be separated. We can look at that and immediately think, oh, well, that's good. We're going to know where people stand on Ukraine, even if they stand someplace else on Israel. But wait, why is that good? Why is that good? That's not good. We're being told to think that is good by media outlets who support the uniparty and the controlled opposition dynamic. And we'll think, oh, well, everybody knows that Israel is very serious where Ukraine is not. And therefore, it's good to have these separated so that people can support this very important, very true cause in Israel even though we have all come to understand that the cause in Ukraine is not very true and not very important. People would be well advised to consider where they were on Ukraine in February of 2022, because that is the parallel to this Israel situation, not where you are on Ukraine now. Wanting to withhold your support from Ukraine right now 
has no relationship whatsoever to what's happening in Israel right now. The only place or time where supporting the very sovereign borders of Ukraine and funding Ukraine and arming Ukraine and promoting the cause of Ukraine in their defense against the very brutal dictator Vladimir Putin, the only place and time where that intersects with what's currently happening in Israel was back in January, February, March of 2022. So where were you back then? If you were supporting Ukraine back then and understanding now that supporting Ukraine now is a bad idea, you should be open enough and honest enough to admit that your support of Ukraine back then was also wrong. The Ukraine situation did not change from being good to being bad. We did not realize over the course of that process that things just simply weren't going to work and are no longer worth supporting. The cause in Ukraine was never worth supporting. There was never a point at which the very brutal dictator Vladimir Putin was staging a very brutal invasion. And we had a responsibility to oppose that. And then it just didn't work or the facts on the ground changed. And now we no longer have the responsibility to defend Ukraine's very important, very sovereign borders against the very brutal dictator Vladimir Putin in his very brutal invasion. The judgment involved has never changed. People were wrong about it. Now they are occupying the position of rightness about it, but you can't actually occupy any position of rightness if you are unwilling to understand and accept that it was always wrong. Because if you don't understand that it was always wrong to support that nonsense in Ukraine, then you will make the same mistake again. And the proof is that you're making the same mistake right now when it comes to Israel and you're making that mistake for the very same reasons. Why? Because you did not learn the lesson. The lesson being that the Uniparty was supporting a global proxy state in Ukraine. Now, you can find other justifications for why supporting quote-unquote Ukraine might be justifiable in some non-reality-based context, in the abstract, I might even agree with you on some various points that, oh, in a perfect world, a different one than this, in the abstract, there might be some morally justified case for supporting Ukraine on this or that grounds. But that's not the real world. And no one is coming to that position. Everyone is moving away from that position, including and especially the people that already occupied it. So arguing that position now as a reason why supporting Ukraine, in quotes, wasn't always wrong from the beginning, well, that's not going to be convincing to anyone. The key understanding is supporting that cause in Ukraine as described in the real world was wrong from the beginning. Supporting Israel in this cause as described in the real world right now is wrong for all the same reasons. That is not to say that you want to see the Israeli people or the Jewish people wiped off the map. We don't want to see them harmed in any way. But that does not mean and that does not necessitate that 
our response is to turn around and support the Uniparty and the global regime because they are the ones most loudly saying we must support Israel. What they mean when they say that is that they want to support the globalist proxy state that exists in Israel as Israel's evil twin faction the same way they wanted to do it in Ukraine. And by the way, it shouldn't surprise anybody that the same people supporting the global proxy states in Ukraine and Israel support other global proxy states and will support to the extent that it still exists by the time they're supporting it matters. The global proxy state in Taiwan, when the time comes, all the same people will be supporting the evil twin faction that exists in Taiwan. Pointing out that we should not be party to the support of the evil twin faction anywhere in the world is not us being uncaring about the plight of the Taiwanese people. And it's certainly not us hating the Taiwanese people. It is only understanding that on behalf of the Taiwanese people, the best thing is to have the globalist proxy state removed in each and every case. And by the way, that includes right here in the good old United States of America, where the evil twin faction actually has a very powerful infiltration. And we can know for ourselves that the best thing for the American people will be to remove that globalist proxy state in full. It's true here. It's true in Taiwan. It's true in Israel. It's true in Ukraine. It is true for the exact same reasons in each and every place. And the opposition to that just so happens to be the exact same people in each and every place. The support for that opposition is being voiced by the exact same people here in America and in the media on each and every one of those issues. And it is for the exact same reasons. All of that is easily understood through the lens of the good twin, evil twin dynamic in each and every scenario. It is understood through the uniparty and global regime dynamic in each and every scenario. The opposing sides in each and every scenario are the global regime versus sovereign leaders leading the sovereign faction on behalf of sovereign nations and sovereign individuals in each and every scenario. To understand that, to say that, and to support that cannot possibly be seen in any way as opposing the people of Ukraine, the people of Israel, people of the Jewish faith, the people of Taiwan, or the people of America. It is definitionally preposterous to believe otherwise, but there are people who believe otherwise or who will at least say otherwise. What they will say is, they as experts, they as the studied when it comes to these issues, know for a fact that it is actually in the interest of all of these people to support the global regime in all of these cases. And the only reason why you wouldn't do that is if it's actually you that hates all of those people. Do a self-inventory. Do you have hate in your heart? for the Ukrainian people, for the Jewish people, for the Israeli people, for the Taiwanese people, or the American people? Or how about the Russian people? Add them in there. The Brazilian people, the Hungarian people, the people of Saudi Arabia, all of the people we are told 
have all of these autocratic leaders as they're described. Do you have hate in your heart for any of those people? I would bet the answer is no. And I would bet that not only is the answer no, you probably feel a great kinship and a great bond with those people having some understanding now because of your lived experience, what their lives must be like at the hands of this very same global regime in their country where their situation may well be even worse than ours is. And if not worse right now in the present moment, at some time, surely it could have been in all the exact same ways. Understanding the uniparty dynamic in America allows us to understand the good twin, evil twin dynamic worldwide. It allows us to understand the global regime dynamic worldwide. You can see the global regime at work when you look through this lens, when you understand this dynamic. That is why they try to dismiss this dynamic out of hand, to call it a conspiracy theory. Because if this understanding goes wide, if people begin to simply see this as it operates in the world, and it is front and center, all you have to do is notice it. As soon as you recognize it and notice it, it becomes readily apparent in everything you examine. When people do notice it, the controlled opposition dynamic in every situation makes itself readily apparent and then immediately falls away because the controlled opposition dynamic and the conversation it produces doesn't make any sense when you understand what the two opposing sides actually are. And so when you listen to a person like Colonel Douglas McGregor, who is not only so informed, but has the historical understanding and context and is able to communicate that clearly, what he says, much like Donald Trump, has a tendency to take on a different meaning than it does when you are consumed by the controlled opposition dynamic and that means of understanding. When you listen to Colonel McGregor, while understanding the good twin, evil twin dynamic and applying that in real time to what he's saying, our understanding of the words he's actually speaking becomes even more enriched. So I think I mentioned that he just did an interview with Tucker Carlson. We'll get to that in just a second. But this is Colonel Douglas McGregor from over the weekend on a show called Straight Calls, talking specifically about the Uniparty. We're tired of all this Republican Democrat nonsense because the truth is it doesn't matter who you vote for, you get the same damn policies. So we have in Washington this thing we call the Uniparty. The Uniparty is owned by various lobbies. Some of those are corporate, some of them are foreign, some of them are, uh, you know, pharmaceuticals, uh, you know, different kinds of things that for different reasons have, have found a way to essentially buy up politicians. We know that. That has to go away. Uh, I think it will as a result of where we're headed financially. We also said we've got to return to a very simple formulation. You know, faith, family, country. Faith, family, country. One of the things that we've seen with this government that we have is a systematic attempt to destroy the family. Uh, it's incomprehensible to us that now we want the state to determine you know, what, what children learn to believe is real or unreal, that the state uh, controls not only, uh, you know, our lives, 
as as adults, but is going to enable children without consulting their parents at the age of seven to engage in self-mutilation and transform themselves, they think, from you know a boy into a girl. We think that people that are willing to do that sort of thing to anybody who's under the age of 18 should be treated as criminals and go to jail. Uh, you know, so when you look at when you look at the things that concern us, we want to end these pointless wars overseas, stop the interventions. Uh, secondly, we we want to restore the rule of law. You know, we can't go forward, you know, indulging criminals as as you know from your own experience in your own country. You do it. We've got to stop it. <clears throat> you know, Mao had a had a saying: "Shoot one, educate a million. You know, when you watch people loot and commit crimes against fellow citizens, you shoot one. And you'd be surprised how much attention that gets on the street. Everybody else suddenly says, oh, my God, I better stop her. I'm going to be shot. But we seem to have lost our, our intestinal fortitude, our guts, our courage to do what is necessary to protect our society. So we've got to restore the lure of law. And in connection with that, we've got to close our borders. We've got to round up all these people who come here illegally and expel them. We can't afford them. We can't employ them. They're not coming with skills that will enable them to assimilate. You know, we've long since breached the limits of assimilation as it is, but we'll go under completely if we don't stop what's happening now. So these things have to happen. And then we absolutely must halt the sexualization of our children. Teaching sex classes to third graders? Good Lord, I don't remember anything remotely sexual about being in third grade. What are we doing to ourselves? So, you know, the now you're talking about an appeal across party lines. We're saying, look, there are lots of good people, Democrats and Republicans, who can agree on those things. We need to come together, and we need to go after these people in Washington, push them out of office. We need to force this agenda that I just described to you onto Washington, get out of this terrible pit of despair that we're currently wandering around in. So it's pretty clear that Colonel Douglas McGregor understands the presence of the Uniparty, that dynamic, and his analysis can be seen as a product of that understanding. And he applies it here domestically. He says, these are things that the American people want. And we have these political leaders on both sides advancing this truly terrible agenda that continually allows for this stuff to persist in our country. It's not just that Democrats want to do the thing. It's that both sides of the uniparty, the uniparty right and the uniparty left represented as Republican and Democrat are incentivized to allow the same agenda to move forward and to promote that agenda where their marketing necessities allow them to promote it. Then all their time is spent on that controlled opposition dynamic. That's why we have Daily Wire, the biggest producers of trans content in the world, filling 24 hours every day of the week with trans content and never ever talking about the Uniparty or the fact that our elections are stolen. That's not true opposition. That's controlled opposition. So McGregor sat down with Tucker Carlson. The entire interview is about a half an hour long. I recommend it very highly. I will probably listen to it multiple times. But this clip has made the rounds over the last 24 hours and for very good reason. He's talking about very important things. And as I just said a couple of minutes ago, while you listen to this, stay focused on the uniparty dynamic. 
the good twin, evil twin dynamic as it exists worldwide and understand that Colonel McGregor understands that and speaks his understanding. Because I know that we have a tendency to take all of the words that a person like Colonel McGregor says and apply that standard issue villager mindset where the normies are right about the definitions of all these words and the dynamics at play here. They're not. We cannot assume that Colonel McGregor means the same thing when he says the name of a country as one of the dummies who writes for town hall might mean it. And bear in mind that the good twin, evil twin dynamic exists everywhere. No country is only one thing. Everything is two things. Everything is at least two things. But here's Colonel McGregor. Thank you uh, for coming on. Do you think that we are moving toward war with Iran? Yes, I do. And uh, it looks like the chosen destination is indeed Armageddon. There doesn't seem to be any real appreciation for the implications for us and, and frankly, for Europe and the world, as well as the Middle East, of such action. You know, take for an example, just on the economic side, about 20 uh, percent of the world's oil passes through the Straits of Hormuz every month. Uh, uh, probably 25 percent of liquefied natural gas. And you're talking about shutting down two to three million barrels uh, a day of oil from Iran. Uh, you know, it, this entire region is involved in the war. This is not an Iranian monopoly by any stretch of the imagination. But the point is that when we're looking at 10-year Treasury yields up over 5 percent, and people are increasingly convinced that the Fed has lost control, the economic side of the House is catastrophe. Then when you look at the military side, you have to look at the arsenal of missiles that Iran possesses. And they can reach out 1,200 miles with great precision, very uh, high explosive conventional warheads that would do enormous damage, destroying whole city blocks in places like Haifa, Tel Aviv, even Jerusalem, though I doubt they would attack Jerusalem. The, the bottom line is that we need to think this through, and everyone right now is emoting. There is no thinking anywhere, as far as I can tell. The only possible exception may be, amazingly enough, Mr. Erdogan in Turkey, who came out this morning and indicated he was willing to mediate uh, the dispute between Israel and Hamas. Whether or not anyone in Washington or Israel is interested in talking, I don't know. But if we could sideline Turkey and keep Turkey out of the fight, that would ultimately help Israel enormously. So what would happen to the United States if we followed Senator Graham's advice and just began bombing critical infrastructure in Iran? What would happen then? Well, all of the bases that we have in Iraq and Syria, unfortunately, where we still have over a thousand Americans, all of those would be targeted. And this time, they would target them accurately, and this destruction would be wholesale. I would expect trouble here at home and in the United States because of the open border. Hezbollah has a very large operation in Mexico. There are no doubt many, many, many Hezbollah agents inside the United States. We can only begin to imagine the kind of trouble they could cause. The missile and space program in Iran is very, very advanced, as is their cyber warfare capability. All of these things would be brought to bear against us. But what's most important, I think, for Americans to understand is if we attack Iran on the basis of Hezbollah's alleged 
willingness to attack Israel if Israel invades Gaza, we will end up in a fight with Russia. Russia will not sit by quietly and watch Iran destroyed by the United States air and naval power in the region. And once Russia enters this, uh, it, it becomes much more than just a local conflict, maybe more than just a regional war. We haven't thought this through. We need to do that. And I doubt seriously at that point that the Turks would be able to stay out. Turks are Sunni Muslims. They are the de facto leaders of the Sunni Muslim world. They have the largest armed forces in the region. They are in close proximity to Israel. They could move forces south through Syria very rapidly. And I'm sure Bashar al-Assad, assuming he even survives the opening of this campaign, would not obstruct them. All right. So we understand that McGregor understands the uniparty dynamic, the good twin, evil twin dynamic, though I would doubt he would use the same terms to describe it that I use. And I do not mean to suggest that I know what he's thinking about all these situations or that I have it perfectly nailed down. I do not want to project any image that might suggest otherwise. But When I listen to him and when I hear him say things like we and when I hear him describe what Iran will do, what Turkey will do, what Russia will do. And I understand that he knows there is one side, the America first side, the side of sovereignty among nations and among individuals. And that in opposition to that, we have the global regime, the global evil twin, the uniparty that exists in the United States. So when I hear him talking in terms of us versus them, or when I hear him talking about other countries, I have to think about all the different combinations and possibilities. Is he referring to the good twin or the evil twin in this or that country each time? And who is he communicating to? Well, he's clearly communicating to an American audience. He knows that. So he has to cater to the understanding of American politics as it exists among a populace who is not particularly advanced in their understanding of their own country's politics. But that's not all. That's not the only audience for these statements. He seems like he is communicating in very clear terms to the global regime about what will happen if they continue to pursue the course of action they have been pursuing. He said quite clearly that everyone on both sides seems to simply be emoting. They're just screaming about how they want things to be, and they're not dealing with the reality. I believe that the reality he's talking about is the reality for the global regime and its allied interests. He used Similar framing and language at the beginning of the very brutal dictator Vladimir Putin's very brutal invasion of Ukraine. He has been communicating not only to the American public, but also to the regime and its allies that if they do this, this other thing will happen and it won't work. And he consistently uses the word we in that situation, meaning the United States and its military, the illegitimate administration, the evil twin faction in the United States, which is the uniparty, which is the United States representative of this same global regime. That is who he's talking about and who he's referring to when he says we that thing embodied in the United States. We don't have the military capability to do that. We aren't thinking these situations through. We aren't being honest with the American people. He is communicating as representative of the opinion 
of America embodied in him. We means America to Douglas McGregor, obviously. But in nearly everything he says, he is communicating very clearly that the global regime agenda and their desires, well, that's just not going to happen. So he's not speaking their case. He is taking on the identity of that because that is the lens through which most Americans observe politics. But time after time after time, when I listen to him, I can't help but think he is telling the global regime Don't even think about it. It's not going to work. If you escalate this, it is just going to get worse for you. And this messaging all rides underneath him saying we as if he is a representative of the thing that will fail rather than a person who opposes the global regime telling the global regime that it will fail while embodying that as we. Now, I am really hoping that I described that well enough, because if you are able to hear this thing, you can hear it come up a lot. Once you apply this lens, this uniparty lens, the good twin, evil twin lens to the words you hear coming from people who are consistently knowledgeable, consistently ahead and consistently right. It presents an entirely new understanding of things, and I would argue a far more accurate and predictive understanding of things. Again, you can know that your understanding, that the lens through which you look, is accurate and clear because it consistently produces results that will attract more people over time rather than lose people to other perspectives. This perspective is worth applying to absolutely everything, even if you think it's not going to fit, because just the thought exercise alone will produce more possibilities so that if something emerges in reality and your understanding of reality, you will have already thought through other possibilities and realize, oh, maybe one you put aside might apply given this new information. Now, I hope all of this is making sense and I haven't lost you and you're not like, hey, man, stop harping on the uniparty. But the uniparty is the whole game and getting people to understand this dynamic will unlock a new understanding of American politics and a path forward. Understanding the uniparty is key to understanding why it matters that there is a movement placing America first and that that movement to the extent possible, exists outside of that uniparty dynamic, that controlled opposition dynamic, which is exactly why it is so upsetting to both sides of that uniparty. So with that in mind, let's get back to the conversation on who will be the next Speaker of the House. And it's always important to remember that no speaker is the best speaker. There should be no speaker until our elections are made legitimate, and the best choice is to simply vacate Congress. I discussed this a bit with Ghost of Base Patrick Henry on Badlands Daily this morning. This is from Breitbart. Representative John Rutherford, I opposed Jim Jordan because of his character flaws and to teach him a lesson. This is Republican from Florida, John Rutherford, on the Mark K. Show. Rutherford, whose attacks against Jordan have grown increasingly personal, has offered a series of evolving reasons for opposing the popular conservative that contradict one another or do not hold up to scrutiny. In his interview with Kay, 
Rutherford claims to have voted for Representative Steve Scalise on the House floor because Scalise beat Jim Jordan in a conference vote in a free and fair election. And Jim Jordan refused to accept the outcome of that election. During his so-called concession speech, Jim Jordan got up and just blew any chance of Steve Scalise being able to get the 217th vote on the floor. So John Rutherford of Florida, Republican, he's got a little R next to his name, got mad at Jim Jordan because behind closed doors, Jim Jordan voiced his opposition to Steve Scalise. And in Rutherford's telling, that made it impossible for Scalise to become speaker. Rutherford, as it happens, also is very upset about Matt Gates doing any of this in the first place. So it's easy to see where he's coming from. Then he uses the slogans about the 2020 election and applies them to Jim Jordan and who he's going to go support on the floor of the House. He says that the conference vote was a free and fair election. It was held behind closed doors. The people who are meant to be doing work on behalf of the American people held a vote behind closed doors. And that secret vote, that vote on which Rutherford thinks we're just going to take his word, that constitutes a free and fair election. And then he castigates Jim Jordan for refusing to accept the outcome. When the host asserted that Scalise never would have had the necessary votes to win on the floor, Rutherford confusingly replied, that's the point, before pivoting to discuss the eight Republicans who voted to oust Kevin McCarthy from the speakership. He goes on, the point is Scalise won the majority vote. The minority should have gone with him. And Jim Jordan, he should have led that minority. He got beat by Steve Scalise. That's how it's supposed to work. But now, after you know what we saw the eight do, there's this idea that somehow the minority is going to dictate to the majority. That's not the way this country works. And in fact, Mark, every one of these members up here, you know how they got here. They won a majority. So we're supposed to believe that all of the elections for all of those members of Congress were legitimate. That is not true, but we're supposed to assume it because John Rutherford repeats it. And we're supposed to pretend that John Rutherford doesn't know how elections work. He's also claiming that the majority should be able to force all the members of Congress to vote on whatever they want. The majority of the Republican conference just gets to decide everything for each and every Republican, no matter what their constituents want. That is madness. That is a total inversion of what the job of each and every member of Congress actually is. As far as the motion to vacate goes, that rule was negotiated and Matt Gates has every right to use it. If the people aligned with John Rutherford can't get half of the House of Representatives to go along with them, they don't have the majority. I mean, think about what John Rutherford wants as the way Congress should operate. So there's 433 members right now, but usually there's 435. So that means that 218 would be a majority right now. It's 217. What Rutherford wants and what he believes is actually the state of things right now. What he wants is the majority of the majority conference to be able to decide everything for the full house. So with 114 Republican 
members of Congress voting for one thing, that means that the other 113 have to do what the 114 do. Then that makes up a majority of the chamber and those 114 then get to decide what passes out of the House of Representatives. That is a very odd state of affairs. 114 members of one conference get to dictate what happens in that conference that composes a majority of the House and that measure passes out of Congress. So anytime you can get a half plus one majority in one conference, that quarter of Congress becomes the voice of the full Congress. Would this make any sense without the uniparty in place, without the controlled opposition dynamic in place? I would suggest that no, that would not make any sense. If John Rutherford thinks that he has an actual majority that is not being responded to by the full house, not the Republican conference, because everybody's supposed to be representing their constituents. If he thinks he has a majority position in the full house, why doesn't he just say that? Why doesn't he support someone that half the house would support being such a big fan of majorities as he is? Well, the reason is because then the uniparty would expose itself. This is the trick by which the Republican conference and the Democrat conference, of course, does the same thing. That's like Nancy Pelosi's whole thing. Make everyone do it and choose to incentivize or punish them or a combination, of course, until they do. But everyone's got to do it because if they stopped operating that way, they would actually have to reach real majorities in the House. Now, I'm not saying that I want our interests sold out to the Democrat Party as it stands right now, but I am not subject to that controlled opposition dynamic understanding. We already have Republicans doing that every time it matters. And up until just recently, they've done that by telling all of the dissenters within their own conference that they have to vote for whatever the majority of the conference votes for. That means everyone who might dissent, especially on America First grounds, ends up being railroaded into going along with the uniparty. And if they don't go along happily and they don't respond to the rewards and incentives, then they will be punished. What John Rutherford is looking to protect is not simple majorities in Congress. What he's looking to protect is the veil behind which the uniparty hides. Again, I would rather they just admit it. Go out and tell the public that you represent the uniparty. Go tell the public that we need a Speaker of the House so bad to pass all this spending and to fund wars in Ukraine and Israel that no one really wants. Be my guest. Go do that. They are illegitimately in office and I don't respect anything they do in the first place. I don't feel that it carries any authority or weight in any respect whatsoever, but for as long as we have to maintain the artifice as it exists, then at least allow them to do what they do right out in the open. John Rutherford's priority is not having a Republican Speaker of the House, and he is declaring that other people are not Republican enough for him. He only wants a Republican Speaker on certain terms. If that Republican Speaker is committed to the uniparty agenda and committed to playing along with this game, with this ruse by which they disguise and hide all of what they're actually doing. 
Create a simple majority behind closed doors within the conference. Get everybody to vote for that same position and keep the same agenda moving forward from both sides of the uniparty. And so yesterday we discussed Tom Emmer as the new establishment choice for Speaker of the House. And today, once again, behind closed doors, Tom Emmer was named the nominee in a process similar to the processes that put forth Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan. Punchbowl News, who I've noted is covering this pretty carefully, they reported that these Republicans voted against Tom Emmer. Rick Allen, Jim Banks, Andy Biggs, Josh Brokeen, Mike Cloud, Andrew Clyde, Mike Collins, Eli Crane, Warren Davidson, Bob Good, Paul Gosar, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Diane Harshbarger, Ronnie Jackson, Tom Massey, Max Miller, Corey Mills, Troy Nels, Ralph Norman, Andy Ogles, Scott Perry, Chip Roy, Keith Self, and Greg Stubbe. So those are many of the people who primarily publicly align with America first causes and the America first agenda. Those are most of the people who were holdouts in the Kevin McCarthy speaker election back in January. And these are most of the members who were involved in the motion to vacate in the first place. We will very likely never hear from Ken Buck on any of these issues ever again. They went through multiple rounds of voting today, five, I believe, and Tom Emmer finished first, followed by Mike Johnson and then Byron Donalds and Kevin Hearn behind him. So that is not much support for Byron Donalds. But again, it's important to note that Tom Emmer kind of has one of those Steve Scalise things going on where he wins a majority behind closed doors among just the conference, but does not by any stretch have enough votes to win on a floor vote. And there is at least an indication right now that he may well drop out. Representative Mike Collins, one of the people who voted against him, explained why he wasn't voting for Tom Emmer. And he said, I'm just not there yet. My district's not there yet. And that, my friends, is a question properly answered. That should be the reason every time. I'm not there yet. My district is not there yet. Jim Banks, who is very reliably always on the right and important side of things, said, I'm a conservative. I came to Washington to fight for conservative values. I can't go along with putting one of the most moderate members of the entire Republican conference in the speaker's chair. That is a principled stand. That is not John Rutherford saying that he just wants to punish Jim Jordan. He just wants to teach him a lesson about what majorities are. And then Donald Trump decided to weigh in, writing on Truth Social. I have many wonderful friends wanting to be Speaker of the House, and some are truly great warriors. Rhino Tom Emmer, who I do not know well, is not one of them. He never respected the power of a Trump endorsement or the breadth and scope of MAGA, Make America Great Again. He fought me all the way and actually spent more time defending Ilhan Omar than he did me. He is totally out of touch with Republican voters. I believe he has now learned his lesson because he is saying that he is pro-Trump all the way. But who can ever be sure? Has he only changed because that's what it takes to win? The Republican Party cannot take that chance because that's not where the America first voters are. 
Voting for a globalist rhino like Tom Emmer would be a tragic mistake. And that is a very strong statement. Trump just launching bombs. And it's kind of hilarious that he very subtly pointed out that the only way to win what it takes to win is being in Trump's camp. Tom Emmer was trying to pretend to the public that he and Trump were aligned. Tom Emmer was the one who reported about his phone call with Trump. People from the Trump camp were like, yeah, Tom Emmer call. It doesn't mean anything. Now, there's another very interesting twist in this story. If Jake Sherman and Punchbowl News can be trusted, I'm not sure they can be trusted, but this would be a rather silly thing to make up. They were saying that Matt Gates actually voted for Emmer in the conference vote. But when asked for his thoughts on Trump's statement, he responded that he believes it's really important to listen to, quote, the leader of our party. And I've got to say, it's pretty funny that Matt Gates would vote for Tom Emmer and just be like, hey, it's not my fault. Look, I'm happy to vote for the guy if that's what you want. You want me to vote for him? Here, I'll vote for him. Hey, I vote for Tom Emmer. I see Matt Gates's role as a disruptor. And until there is some strong indication otherwise, I am going to assume that Matt Gates did not in the last day or so become some uniparty globalist who actually sincerely wants Tom Emmer to be speaker. Now, all of that has become moot because Tom Emmer is no longer running for speaker. It is official. He has dropped out and is out of the speaker race. And now it looks like the next two possibilities coming up are either Mike Johnson from Louisiana or Kevin Hearn from Oklahoma. Hearn, as we mentioned last week, is the leader of the Republican Study Committee, which is the biggest one of the five families in the GOP House Conference. Mike Johnson from Louisiana may have a difficult time becoming speaker because people say they're concerned that Steve Scalise is also from Louisiana, and it wouldn't make sense to have a speaker and another Republican who ranks that high being from the same state. It's just not right. But Mike Johnson seems, generally speaking, like one of the better options within the Republican conference. Again, no speaker is the best speaker. I don't want him to become speaker. But I do, so far, from what I know, like Mike Johnson. And to his credit, global communist Norm Ornstein from the American Enterprise Institute tweeted, there is a distinction. Emmer at least voted to certify the election. He accepted same-sex marriage. Johnson is a full-fledged election denier, a homophone, and even more radical on abortion. And I think he meant homophobe. Otherwise, he would just be saying that Mike Johnson sounds like something with a different spelling or a different meaning. And in Mike Johnson's case, I guess that that would be a Swede named Mikhail Janssen, Americanized. So he's bad because he does not want babies to be killed in the womb, because he is not for same-sex marriage, and because he is a full-fledged election denier. I say, hey, good on him. Now, at some point, we will probably have another House floor vote, and I will definitely cover that live on Badlands if I am available. It's possible that it will be this evening. It's possible that it's tomorrow. If it's tomorrow, I may not be able to put up an episode. Just depends on how things go. 
So keep an eye on the Twitter, keep an eye on the Telegram and the Truth Social. I will be sure to let everyone know in one place or another whether or not Badlands will be covering the speaker vote and then whether or not I will get an episode up throughout the day. And aside from the possibility of a speaker vote that might cause me to miss the episode, I will be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. 
If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!